Church Life Today is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and our listeners. We are developing a mini-series here on Church Life Today about the relationship with our beloved dead. We're talking about death, grief, longing, hope, and a lot more. This is connected to a project I myself am working on between the McGrath Institute for Church Life, where I work, and Ave Maria Press. That project is a book on this topic as part of the Engaging Catholicism series. Animating this particular project are questions like, where do our beloved dead go? How do they live? And what does this all mean for us who remain? I've been talking with people about their experiences of the death of loved ones and their desire for communion with them. I'm not recording all of these conversations, but I have asked a couple people, and maybe I'll ask more, if they would be willing to record an episode for our show so that you can listen in too. This is the second of those episodes, the first of which appeared under the title, Heaven in the Midst of Death. My guest today is my friend, Stephanie Dupre. She's a professional opera singer. She's a comedian, a voice coach. Basically, she's an artist. I'm so grateful to her for her willingness to talk with us today about her mom, Susie Dupre, and about Stephanie's own grief, her desire, and her hope. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today, a production of the McGrath Institute for Church Life and the Spoke Street Media Network. I'm so glad you're here. All right, Stephanie, thanks for joining us. I am honored to be here. Stephanie, your mom, Susie, died just over a year ago while in hospice care at your home. Can I ask you, how did you experience your mother's death? Woof. (laughs) I experienced it very viscerally. It was a very physical event. I was living abroad in Vienna. I'm an opera singer. I was there on a, a Fulbright, and I was sent home for the pandemic on March 18th, which ironically turned into my whole family being home, living in one house for the last stages of my mom's battle with osteosarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer. She had gone into the hospital while I was flying home for Christmas. And so as I'm doing my layover, my dad's, you know, talking to paramedics, we did Christmas in in a hospital and we kind of thought we'd made it out of the woods by the time I left, she was never home for the two weeks that I was home over Christmas, 19 into 20. And then when I got home in March of 2020, we had maybe a month, three weeks of all three of us, my brother included, he, you know, he lived in town in Denver, but he sort of moved into the basement. So we had four of us here doing three meals together a day, but my mom was in such pain and so immobile. And, you know, we're doing all these telehealth things with the different doctors at University of Colorado Hospital. And and eventually we made the decision, my dad, my brother and I to begin hospice. And by the time we made that decision, my mom didn't really have the mental capacity to sort of know what was going on. Like we couldn't really include her in the decision. She frequently didn't know who I was. My brother got dumped and he called her to cry about it and she didn't know who he was. (laughs) It was like the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. She frequently thought I was her college roommate. She'd get mad because she needed to go home and see her dad. And we'd be like, you are home. And she'd be like, no, like I live in Santa Monica. I got to go to La Brea. And we'd be like, uh, where is this coming from? But we made the decision to start hospice. And because of the pandemic, it was never a question. Like, of course, we're not going into a hospital. Of course, you know, she's staying at home 
we're going to make our little bubble. The hospice nurses are doing their darndest to be safe. You know, we, we journeyed with these women and I'd never seen their faces, mm. you know? Yeah. And so we started that and it turned into the slow journey that you, you know, you have no idea how long it's going to be of accompanying my mother into death. And that it's the, it's the worst thing in the world. It's a, tra- it's a tragedy. Like there's, it's awful. I, I hate it, but it was the most beautiful gift to be given that time from the universe. You know, God wastes nothing. We're going to have a pandemic here. Why don't you spend the last three months of your mother's life holding her? And uh, the gift of that accompaniment um, to be able to be with her the way that she had, you know, raised me, you know, I was the one who was wiping her butt. I was the one who was dressing her and caring for her and, um, you know, helping the the nurse change her wounds and her bed sores. I'm the one, you know, my dad and brother and I are the ones who are giving her the the pills and the washing her hair. And so the the cycle of the gift of self was completed in a very poetic and very satisfying way, which is something worth noticing, but does not detract from the anger or the grief, but it does sort of illuminate it and give it more context that when she was dying, which was, you know, we watched her body break down, you know, we, we installed, we installed a shower holder for her last shower. Hmm. (laughs) Like really glad we we spent all that time going to the... (laughs) into the ace hardware and <laughs> and you know getting permission to yeah. you know drill into the walls and check in all the stuff and she used it yeah. once yeah, once once yeah um i see it when i go to the bathroom downstairs mm. and i'm always like this we put so much time and energy mm. into this bar <laughs> she held once yeah. it's just you know it's interesting when someone's gone the the little pieces you know the physical pieces of it mm-hmm. how i don't know um well, you said yeah. you experienced her death from the very beginning, you said very viscerally, and you're giving us a sense of that, this intense and intentional, direct and personal care for her, which was bodily as much as it was emotional and psychological and spiritual. You were caring for her body. Yeah. I think a, a lot of times we, especially in America in the 21st century, we tuck death away. I think the coronavirus Corona Zeit, what we would call it in Vienna, <laughs> is the gave us a little more context for it. I think mm. we got a, families got a lot closer to it, and especially when we couldn't be close to it, we noticed it. Mm-hmm. And I to say die, this is, to the dying, yeah, to the process yeah. of dying and into death. Yeah. yeah, and people desire. You know, I had a couple good friends who lost parents, and mm-hmm. the inability to be with them, I know, was crushing in a way that I understand because I. I got to be with my mother, but I, I do think we have sanitized the process of death in a way that is not normal. You know, I'm not an anthropologist, but, you know, doing my drive, drive by experience of, of literature and life, I really think that we miss out on the, the fruits of physical closeness to bodies that are breaking down that might have been more present in multifamily homes or in, you know, the, when people are homesteading and grandma moves in, but, you know, it's like, I think there's a real gift to that, to having the last generation, you know, sort of bumping up against the kingdom of heaven in your home with you. Hmm. Because the way that I was able to 
see how hard it was for my mom, how much pain. And it was my dad and I, my dad was basically our full-time caretaker for, for two and a half years. And really, truly, that was his full-time job for about the last 12 months of like lifting her up, helping her with the walker, getting her in and out of the car. You know, we want to go do, you know, we want to go to this place. How are we going to get her there? Mm -hmm. We have to think ahead. You know, she's got a wheelchair now. What are we want to go on a walk around the block? You know, who holds the dog? Can we tie the dog? You know, dog leash, you know, it's like when you have someone whose body is breaking down and you are close to them, there is a sense of intention and slowness to life that you just don't get in other ways. And I would, I would imagine this goes for anybody who is disabled or cares for a disabled or other abled person. And it's the sense of the body is not everything and we can accommodate it, but it is not, the full person, the full Mm. person is the, you know, is the, is the life and the delight inside of them. And so as I'm holding my mother's body and I'm watching it break down and I see the bed sores on her back that are just gaping wounds. And, you know, my dad's asking the nurse, like the hospice nurse, like, are they going to heal? And she's like, no, "No." like she will die with these wounds on Mm -hmm. her body. And like us being like, what is this some sort of futile game where you're changing the dressing to make us feel better? Like, knowing that she, you know, the body isn't going to heal. We're just, and going through that, you, you realize that like, that isn't everything. You know, the thing that my, my mom is not just her body. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm caring for this, physical presence on earth. I, I want to avoid being like too Gnostic about this. Right. Like this, this is, this is her on earth, but like, we're, we're looking bigger. We're looking mm-hmm. forward at a, why, like, why are we caring for this body? Because it's going to hold her soul until it doesn't. We've talked about this a little bit before. So I just, I have a sense of this, but when you really felt or knew that your mother was not just her body. It was, she was her body, but she also wasn't there when you were holding her dead body. Yeah. What so was, I, um, yeah, tell us about that. So this, so the day she died was a little, you know, it's one of those things where it feels like a normal day and you look back and you're like, wow, God designed that so well. Hmm. A friend from our parish came and delivered the Eucharist that morning just because she was in the area. Why not? which, you know, now I sort of think with pride that my mother's body was buried in Logan National Cemetery with the Eucharist inside of her. Mm. You know, I don't know what they do in the funeral home, but I like to think it was inside of her. Mm-hmm. But so she received the Eucharist. She had a terrible night. I had slept next to her. She was in a ton of pain. I was off to a reunion with my friends from the Notre Dame Folk Choir that day that my family insisted, my family being my brother and dad, insist I take because they were like, you need a break, go spend a couple days with your friends. We were all, you know, it's like everybody had quarantined and was going to be as safe as possible. My brother spent the morning going, it's okay. You can leave. You can go. We'll be fine. You can, we're, we're good here. Following me around as I'm taking forever to get in the car. <laughs> and, you know, I'm looking back, I'm like, how much of that did my mom hear? Mm-hmm. You know, my brother walking around saying like, we're going to be okay. We've got it under control. You can go now. Like you go leave. We're, we're fine. 
So I was in a gas station in Pueblo, Colorado, when my brother called me and all he did was like, <gasps> and I ran out of the line at Subway, sandwich half finished, got in the car, did a two hour drive in one, and I reached home and I walked in and it was filled with people. Like the deacon was there. My dad was there, you know, it's like, everybody's there. And I, I walked into the room and there's my mom. I left her, you know, three hours ago. Um, there she is in her favorite shirt and she's not, she's not there at all. And I crawled on the bed and I, I held her and it was a shell. I mean, it, it wasn't, she wasn't there. And, you know, I, I, uh, I always want to give space for the possibility that the, you know, the Catholicism might be wrong because if it's, if you're sure of it, it's not faith. But in that moment, I was convinced beyond any doubt that she, there was more to this than this body in this life and that she was there. And just, it's tragedy, it's devastation, but the, there was the, the piece of knowledge, like, I think the thing inside of her that made her her is okay. I don't think it has ceased to exist. I, I don't think it has, you know, uh, poofed away with a couple of neurons in her mind the thing that animated her, her soul is now no longer tied to this body. And I think her soul is okay. And, and I was holding her and like, you know, waxy skin, totally lifeless. And I'm looking at this, you know, this body, like this is a woman who held me. I came out of this woman. You cannot be closer. I literally came out of this body that is now empty. And I'm holding it and hugging her and just, and like the hands that I've held my whole life, you know, and the lips that just kissed me and kissed me every time I came home and, uh, you know, looking like whole, picking up her arms and wanting them to wrap around me, like laying, I was laying on her chest, which was riddled with tumors and very disfigured because she had a tumor in her clavicle and I'm laying on her chest and just like holding her bones, wanting her to hug me back and knowing that she wasn't there. And that sort of the dichotomy of I'm in, I'm on, you know, lying on top of my mother and she's not here. And you know, like subtly all of the theological implications are sort of like lightly pulsing out from that moment. You know, like the, this body is good. This body is important. This body is not the, not where she is anymore and and also like the this physical body that she has left deserves such respect but also she is she is gone and i think when we're not physically aware of that when it is just a story we hear or a phone call or a, a behind a door i think you miss that opportunity too understand with a, an intense nuance the relationship between the body and the soul you touch it, you touched her absence it sounds like her body yes. was you were touching her absence yes yeah. yes i held her and i could not hold her mm -hmm. and and that is 
a gift that will help. It helps me understand like where, where is my mother now? Well, I know she's not here because I tried mm-hmm. because I tried to hug her and I told her that I loved her and she didn't say I love you back. So I know she's not there because <laughs> I ran all of my science experiments and concluded <laughs> she was not there. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Spoke Street Media Network. I'm talking with my friend Stephanie Dupre about death, grief, and longing. She's been talking about the death of her mother, Susie, just over a year ago. Stephanie is a professional opera singer, a comedian, voice coach, all-around creative person. Stephanie, you said earlier that you not only had been experiencing intense grief, but also anger. Where is the anger located? Where is it coming from? What are you angry about? Um, Well, my therapist would tell you that it's located in my gut. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I am a being, being raised by a pair of academics. I was very much drawn, you know, my dad and my dad and brother and I were like, let's, let's read about the grief. Let's, let's prepare for this. So everything from Kubler-Ross and the, the stages of grief. And then there was a book called the science of sadness that I read I um, mean, go, even going to like Jungian and Freudian philosophy of what is loss and how do we understand loss? And then, of course, the saints have written extensively about loss, like yeah. Teresa, Thomas Merton, and sort of going through, you know, anything I can get my hands on to understand the, what, my, what I'm going to go through now. And it all just being absolutely, you know, it's, it was not helpful. I mean, it was helpful, but like feeling like, oh, this is trash. Like, what is this? Like this whole, this whole thing's a racket. This whole life death business is just what a, what a, we got duped. Hmm. Like, and just being so frustrated by that. And I don't know if you've been watching the Loki television show or anything Avengers adjacent, but there's this notion of different timelines. And I, I, you know, I got spun onto the wrong timeline and it has just continued. And now I am sort of forced to live on the wrong timeline for the rest of my life. And it's the timeline without my mother. And then what a, what a false world, what a, you know, what a short shift for me. And that the, the set behind the sadness is, is anger. And I actually, I saw sort of a artistic rendering of this on Instagram and it's this like angry woman standing and saying like, no, don't come near, like you're not allowed. And, you know, she's called anger. And then behind her is a woman crying curled up and that's called grief. So it's like the anger is protecting the grief and standing in front of it. And I, I saw that and I was like, yep. <laughs> like I, my grief is so all encompassing and so complete and into every atom of my body that, that I, you know, to wear a cloak of anger is just a safe option. And I, am I angry at God? Sure. I mean, you know, I'm angry at the the car in front of me. I'm angry at my dog. I mean, you know, I'm angry at my face, you know, like pick all of it. It's indiscriminate. Just like this notion that the universe has duped me. And now I must progress through a world devoid of my mother. And the biggest insult is that she gets to ex- exist with the kingdom of heaven and stare at the beatific vision. And I am down here mucking around with the riffraff and I don't get to do it until I pass away, which, you know, could be tomorrow, but will likely be in a couple decades. 
at just like the looking at the length of time before I get to be where she is and I get to have the peace that I, I, I believe she has. I feel so it's like either let her stay with me or bring me with her. Like don't, don't separate us to where she doesn't even get to meet my husband or my kids. And, and I don't get to be with her in, in that joy right now. I have to keep living in this world with it. With, with its fallenness and its brokenness and, and its Facebook arguments and its people cutting me off in traffic and it's my cellulite on my thighs. Like, I have to live with this? Like, why can't I just go be with her in heaven? It's like, it's like she died. I bought in fully, fully to the belief in the kingdom of heaven. And like, I was like, yep, I see it. I believe it. It's there. And now I'm so intensely jealous of Christ and the saints for getting to be so close to her. I couldn't pray for a long time because yeah. I was, I would just start cussing at God. I was like, you don't know how lucky you are getting Susie to pray with you all the time. God, what a wonderful woman. And I know that like, I know it's silly. I know, I, you know, I can sort of see like the, the humor in that, but that didn't stop it from feeling extremely like that's, that's what I was feeling. I still struggle praying because I'm still so intensely jealous of every saint who gets to be in the kingdom with my mother. And when do I get to be with her? I don't know. At the Eucharist? <laughs> like, come on, giving me 20 minutes a week? More if I actually went to daily mass. Yeah. But like, it's just, and it's such an interesting reaction because there is a humor in it. Like, I can't pray because I'm so jealous of Jesus because my mom is dead and in heaven. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's like, well, but that's the logic that I, that's yeah. the logic I made. And grief is illogical. It is, and it, to, not to, to stay with the Avengers theme and the WandaVision, grief is love with nowhere to go. And I'm like sitting here like, like just getting bigger and bigger. Like I'm going to burst with all of this love for my mother. I can't hug her. I can't run to her and tell her about my day. I can't tell her about my neck, you know, my plans. I can't sing for her. I can't tell her a joke. I just, you know, it's like bubbling more and more and more. And I'm going to pop. And when I, when I pop and I get angry, I'm angry at the situation. And it's not a it's not a blame of God, and it's not a blame of the doctors. It's a blame of the fallen world. Like, how did I get stuck in this video game in which people we live in a fallen world and bodies break down and accidents happen and people die, which I never had to reckon with in this type of visceral yeah. space before this. First of all, nothing you said sounds you said you thought it sounds silly. Nothing sounds silly. But I appreciate that. What, what I hear. I mean, I hear a number of things, and one of the things I hear so strong, strongly is like not just your belief, like your deep gut feeling, like your your knowledge, your hope that your mother lives. And it brings me to that line in the liturgy that has always kind of like mystified and, and troubled me for your faithful life has changed but not ended. And yet here is the body of the person, right, who has ended. But you feel, in some ways, you feel that. So it it seems to me. What do you think about this? Like it sounds like the th- the the source of the the grief, which is the anger, is shielding, is not fully that she has ended, but that your in some way your union with her has ended. It's the separation that causes yeah. the pain. 
those words are really hard to hear because they feel so true and there's such loss in it. Like my relationship, my physical relationship with my mother, the woman who bore me, the woman who raised me, the woman who I, you know, she changed my diaper and I changed hers. That relationship is done. It is transformed. I, I firmly believe that we will be together in the new Jerusalem. You know, I don't, I, I have, I'm not one for <laughs> large bouts of eschatology, but I would like <laughs> to believe that our glorified resurrected bodies will be, I want to, I want to hug her again. And I think I will, but not, not now. And like holding that, the knowledge of like, this is what I believe. I'm going to die. I'm going to stare at the beatific vision and be in the kingdom with the communion of saints. We're all going to have retained our unique personalities and our, you know, like the relationships will exist. Like the, you know, we will have knowledge of ourselves and of others and of God, you know, great divorce, you know, pick, you know, pick your, pick your scene, pick your metaphor that you can live with, but like, it's going to happen and I will be with her there. And I know that, but I still have to live through this life right now. And so it goes from like this anger to sort of this like resentment of like every morning I get up, I'm still not there. Mm. I'm, I'm still living the life that builds the kingdom on earth instead of just participating in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Like, and that, and that is, it's so hard and it feels like a weight that I never considered it to be of like, what am I going to do with my day? And it also, you know, money seems silly. Anything that isn't based in relationships with others seems silly. Things are silly. Like the, what, what matters, loving other people and really good art. Yeah. T- stories, like stories are great. Delicious food, transient, small experiences of, of joy. Those are the things that matter. And I, you know, it's sort of like now I look at the tapestry of my life and it's like, well, I'm going to collect as many of those little beads as possible. Hmm. Like, because that's, that's because I'm going to die the way my mother died and I'm going to leave the body behind. And so what am I going to do with this body while I'm in it? I want to have as many rich, beautiful moments of relationship and art and being with others and, you know, and holding them and being held as I can. Because now the, the reality of death is so intense and inescapable and burned into every second of my life from now on. I am going to spend my life relishing and reveling in the moments of community and relationship that I can have in a fallen world journeying towards the kingdom. Mm. Like I'm going to build the kingdom by loving other people and letting them love me. I obviously should make a little money because I have to eat, (laughs) but like the priorities have just utterly shifted in a way that is probably good and holy, but it it stops being like, Oh, I'm so holy. It's like, no, like this is the, the result of going through a tragedy in which you really, really understand the, the, you know, memento more, what's that one. My, I know my death is coming. Yeah. Because I held my mother in death. Yeah. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today and Spoke Street Media Network. I'm talking with my friend Stephanie Dupre about death, grief, and longing especially, but the death of her mother, Susie. Stephanie, you brought up memento mori. Like, and you're, you're pointing out here the reminder of your death, but it wasn't 
it's not the knowledge, it seems, of your death that has disturbed. It was the reality of your mother's death. And so I guess I want to ask, like, how, as you reflect on sort of the experience now, right, like the parting from your mother, do you feel like you had been prepared for that? Was it, were you in any way familiar with what this would be? Or was it, I mean, it's it's obviously the the loss and the death of your mother is is going to be jarring and have all of the pain. But was it in any way familiar and did you feel like you had been prepared? I do not think I was prepared well by the time and culture that I'm living, but I, but I do think I was prepared well by the faith information I received. How so and where? So I, I mean, like this, this is the moment when I'm going to go full hog to give lip service to my Catholic faith. Like the, it's good to do that, that once I, in a while. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I like to, we talk I, a lot I, and sometimes <laughs> it goes the other direction. So once in a while we do that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, there's a, I say, I will always say, and I, the, the formation that I received as a high school student at a Jesuit high school, as a student at Notre Dame, as a working with high school students while I was in college, teaching high school myself, teaching high school theology. And like the, the things that you hear over and over, you know, like, it's not about this life. It's the next, you know, we're the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. We're, you know, the, he's not here, you know, roll away the stone, like psych, he's not here. Go, (laughs) go, go find him somewhere else. Like the rote way in which through my Catholic faith, I had encountered those stories over and over again and these lines and these words and, you know, every, you know, everybody's. There's the grammar of hope. Like you had, this is how you speak of it and say it. And Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And I even taught it. I taught scripture. Right. I taught the resurrection. Like, you know, like I, and you know, I've gone to Easter mass for 32 years of my life. Like mm-hmm. the, except for actually probably 31. You probably didn't go. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. 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 Okay. When, try doing mass online via video when your mother is screaming because she's in so much pain yeah. <laughs> and you have decided to do hospice yeah. on Holy Thursday. Oh my. Uh, oh, it was yeah. a nice amalgamation of feelings. But because of the this like grammar of hope and having the words and having the the language with which to speak of it when it happened, and I'm literally staring death in the face, the like the the face that was my mother that is now devoid of her and yet still is her, I was able to use language to explain how I was feeling in ways that I had never fully understood. And so now when I speak of the kingdom of heaven, now when I speak of you know, the Jesus Christ is not among the dead. He is risen, as he said, um, you know, p- pick your Easter hymn lyric. Mm-hmm. Now it's not a story I really like. It's, it's everything. And if, and if it isn't there, what, what, what's the point of any of this? Mm. If my, if my mother's soul didn't have an opportunity to, be before the benevolent creator with all of the love that she gave to me and to my brother and to my father. Then it's what, you know, what else, what else could there be? You know, it's like, I, I believe so fully that my mom lived a life that was just loving and she was not perfect. She was 
frequently anxious about things that I wanted her to drop, especially <laughs> me getting into college. But like, <laughs> but they're like just constant love. Like she didn't, you know, she she had tons of opinions about everything. Not all of them were the kindest, but Lord <laughs> knows if you walk into the door, she does not care and she will hug you and love you. Yeah. And she did that for every one of my high school friends and all of my college friends and even and beyond. She was always a safe space, always for everyone. And I cannot imagine that that love did not come from something and then eventually return to it. Yeah. And that gives me so much hope in spite of my anger. Yeah. You've brought up a number of times now the hugs of your mom. Um, when you're holding her in death. You're hugging her and you wanted her hug back. You just mentioned it with your friends. The touch of her body, like her being able to touch you and to express herself to you and your connection with her. So I don't know how, I mean, I guess I just want to ask, like, what do you hope for her body? Like you held her body when it wasn't, as you said, it wasn't holding her and she couldn't hold you. So this hope that you were just kind of falling back on, clinging to, depending on, where in that is your hope for your mother's body? I want desperately, and I'm going to live my life according to this want, to be with her again someday. And not just as like two spiritual poofs floating around <laughs> the garden poofs, of heaven. Spiritual like, poofs. I, I have I mean? never like, wanted anything less than to be a spiritual poof. <laughs> like I just don't, I don't want to be like a, yes. a, a ghost soul. A faceless you know, shimmering. light. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. no, that's not what heaven is. That's not what we, we believe. And I like that that's not what we believe. Yeah. What we believe is that bodies are real and they're important. And there, Jesus resurrected into a body, like, and he, and then the body went to heaven. Mary went to heaven with her body, like that's that's what we believe. Like that, her like there would, whether it's the dormition of Mary or the like assumption of Mary, like she is in heaven with her body. Yeah. And so to think about it speaks my, to what you want. That's what you want. Yeah, you're saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when. I, you know, when we get there, you know, I'm on a timeline now, eventually perhaps time will fall away and I will not have to be bound to this. Mm. Like eventually I will end up in a space where I hug my mom again and I, and I get to fall into, I, my mom was the kind of person you just melted into and she would just sit on the couch and say, I just want my two little birdies. And that was me and my brother. And she just wanted her two little birdies to like be on either side. And she'd be like, this is the best. This is my favorite. And to her, that was her foretaste of king, of the heaven, yeah. of the kingdom of heaven. That was her experience of heaven was to be, to have me and my brother just right there with her. And I, that is what I hope for. And it's almost like a, don't even, you know, like, don't say it out loud. Don't say yeah. it too too loud because you don't want to what if it doesn't happen but that's faith it might not happen or we're still gonna act like it does i want to be in the new jerusalem in the communion of saints with all the cool people and hug my mom forever but this isn't this stephanie isn't this also like what you hope for your mom so you're speaking about what you hope for and your mom there bodily so you can hold her but I mean, what you were just saying, like her foretaste of heaven was actually holding you and your brother. So, I mean, doesn't this mean you, like, it's the hope for your own body 
for your mom's sake. Yeah. And I've never thought of that, but I love that my mom's experience of heaven is to be with us, that she's gunning for this just as much as I am from her position, wherever it is, Mm. that she is just as intensely desiring to give me a hug. Maybe more. Maybe it's well, unbound. It's becoming unbounded. If, yeah, desire. if our theology stands, she's probably yeah. feeling it more and in yeah. a purer way. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're, yeah, if it's pure, it's probably also more both painful and delightful at the same time to long the longing of your mother for you. That, that is almost so intense. It's, it's hard to look at straight on like the, the intensity with which my mother having in life sort of being like blown up fractally into that of someone who is in heaven looking back and desiring with that kind of intensity, you know, sort of exponentially to be looking down and loving me as intensely as I'm sitting here loving her. I mean, could you imagine your mother any other way than caught up in that very kind of particular bodily love for you, right? Like, yeah. I just wonder, like, what would your idea be of your mother if it's not your mother as your mother, right? Her loving you as a mother. uh, Yeah. When, when she died, I had a, I I had like a little baby grief underneath my grief, um, which, which was like, like a, like a a little scene from alien, alien grief. It's like little plants in the garden. Um, Like nesting dolls. Here's the the smaller (laughs) baby nesting doll grief inside the slightly larger one. Yeah. Gross. Why did you have to bring up aliens? I spent (laughs) significant portions of my life trying Trying to forget forget that. that. Okay. Well, Um, deal with the nesting dolls. That's fine. So, but it was the idea of if my mother is in heaven, looking down, watching me and my brother and my dad, she would be heartbroken a thousand times over because her greatest love was for us to be together and to be happy. And now we are formally separated in this bodily life. You separated from her. Yeah. From her. Yeah. So she is not with us and we are terribly sad. Yeah. And imagining her watching us would be like the pain and the grief of like, that would be her. That's her biggest nightmare. I mean, wouldn't it be worse though, if you weren't sad? I mean, this, the, I know, I know. No, and I don't just mean that, like in terms of like being callous, but in terms of that sadness, seems like it's the other side of the great longing. Like this is what you've been yeah. talking about. Like the thing that seems to have ended, or in, at least in the very obvious and clear way, is the the union and the connection, and that's what you long for, right? And like for her to see that sadness, it would seem is also to see the the sort the of intensity of the love, love right? Yeah. 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 Hmm. But like at one point I started crying. So I was like, she must be looking at us and be, and be just like gutted because hmm. we miss her so much. And she probably just feels so bad. <laughs> that she's not here. And it just made me yeah. cry even more. Like yeah. now I'm feeling bad for my mom. Who's like a spiritual poof somewhere. Like looking down on me. <laughs> there are no spiritual poofs. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> this is, um, so hopefully we don't have any, Anybody listening who's trying to make a who's trying to make a quick buck and will make like an animated version of the spiritual poofs because I don't want to see it. No, we don't need that in the world, anyone. It is not theologically correct. It is an analogy that I'm using for humor. That's right. You are a professional comedian, after all. So literally, yes, yes, right. Thank you. So, 
Stephanie, I think, first of all, I just want to thank you for opening this all up to us. You know, just for people listening, you and I had talked for at some length before, and we talked a few times, but at some length before this um, about a number of these things and some other things. And I asked if you'd be willing to let other people listen in if we did an episode and you were so gracious to agree. So thank you for doing it. It's really an honor. And that my my dad and I and my brother talk about how everybody goes through this, but we always, you know, when you're going through grief, you feel like you're the only one mm. and no one could ever possibly understand how awful this is. And you must be totally alone and the first person who's ever experienced it mm. when that is in fact the exact opposite of yeah. grief. Yeah. And so to be able to talk about it and put it on the outside and sort of like point to it and be like, this is what it's like for me. That is a gift because it's, it's tiny breadcrumbs about a shared experience through my lens that I can put out there because I have I've relied so heavily on looking at grief through the lens of so many other people, the saints, mm. my friends and neighbors. Yeah. So it is a gift to be able to speak about the, the moment of my mom's passing passing and also, also to say her name, Susie Dupre as many times as possible into the universe. It is a gift. And I think for any of us listening, one of maybe the best way that we can thank you for this gift you've given to us is to offer a prayer for your mom, Susie Dupre. Please. You got it. Friends, thanks so much for joining us here on Church Life Today. If you'd like to follow up and see a little bit about what Stephanie does with her time and her talents, you can visit her website at stephaniedeprez.com. Deprez is spelled D-E-P-R-E-Z, stephaniedeprez.com. You'll see her looking and sounding glamorous on there. All right, Stephanie, thanks so much. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life Today. Church Life Today is a production of Spoke Street Media and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.